0: Welcome to Someday Is Here, a podcast for Asian American women on leadership and culture. I'm your host, Vivian Mabuni. This podcast has been created to carve out a space for Asian American women to explore and validate living in both Eastern and Western worlds. Each week we will celebrate our heritage and highlight Asian American history. My guests and I will explore our various Asian-American journeys, both the parts that we are proud of and the parts that have brought pain. We'll discuss practical tips on leadership and our favorite comfort foods, of course. This is a place and a space to bring words and understanding to our shared experience living biculturally. I am so glad you're listening and look forward to your feedback. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. This is Vivian Mabuni, and I am the host for Someday Is Here, and I am so excited. I probably say this every week, but again, I really genuinely am so excited to introduce to you my friend Angie Hong. She is my guest this week, and she is a worship leader, a writer, and a speaker, and she has written about her personal identity and healing from abuse in the book Soul Bear. Uh, We will link up all of these Um, connection points for you. But she's also written extensively about worship and diversity in her most recent article that we will hook up um, and we talked about on the interview today. So she is a contributor to Christianity Today's Women. She speaks about ministry and leadership as it intersects with diversity. And she's now a student getting her MDiv at Duke Divinity School. So I'm excited for you to hear our conversation, and um, I'm just so honored that Angie would take the time to be on on Some Days Here. So welcome with me, Angie Hong. So this week's Did You Know comes out of the conversation I had with Angie about Yuri Kochiyama. Uh, We talked about her a little bit, but she was a tireless political activist who devoted her life to social justice and the human rights movement. So as a child, her family was relocated to an internment camp after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And her work with her husband, Bill Kochiyama, included pushing for reparations and a formal apology to the Japanese Americans who had been incarcerated during World War II, leading to the Civil Liberties Act of 1988. She is a woman to be honored and known. I highly encourage you to look her up, Yuri Kochiyama. This is this week's Did You Know? Welcome to Sunday Is Here in Season 2, and I am so excited to introduce to you today, my friend Angie Hong, and she is a worship leader, a writer, a speaker. She has done some incredible, great work and currently resides in North Carolina where she is studying at Duke Divinity School. Um, she has such a great uh, voice, both both uh, verbally as well as singing, and I am just <laughs> thrilled to have her. Now, the, the back story is we actually taped this interview um, several weeks back and had a great conversation. It really was like astonishingly fantastic. And then we had technical difficulties. So we're doing it again. And so now I get to see Angie's face and I wish you could see her beautiful face. But Angie, <laughs> welcome to Someday Is Here Thank you for having me again.
1: We'll we'll try to recreate the magic of the first time.
0: Oh my goodness. It was so magical. And so (laughs) if anything, I get to see you again and life has changed dramatically since last time we talked. So we'll talk about all of that. But Angie, maybe to start off, let's figure out how do we know each other and how did we connect? And then I would love to hear your whole story and all that stuff. So go for it.
1: Well, I think we had followed each other on the socials. And then we have a common friend, Amina Brown. Oh, um, yes. Who we were both friends with. And then she kept telling me, you need to talk to Vivian Mabuni you need to talk yes. to Vivian. Every time I would talk to her about like the loneliness of being an Asian or I just feel like all alone and isolated. She'd be like, you,
0: you need to talk to Vivian. <laughs> and she and was saying we, the same thing to me. She goes, you need she, to meet Angie. you need to meet? Hilarious. Yes. So both sides. So yes. Yeah. And then we finally met
1: up in Chicago at um, some event. Was it the justice conference or you had oh, come wait. up?
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. No, no, no. What happened was we actually first time met in LA because you were here with Amina speaking at a conference. So I got to meet you, meet you for the first time and sat in your, you had like a breakout session with Amina about publishing. So we met in human. That's what my preschool daughter used to say, in human, right? But then I got to, I was invited to speak in Chicago so then yes. we got to meet up and we got to eat food. We got to laugh until we cried.
1: We we were cry- we were laughing so hard for no reason. And then we started <laughs> crying and we couldn't so now stop. We're,
0: <laughs> I know and now we're bonded together. <laughs> this is so good. So, oh, great. Oh. So fun. Well, it's fun to see you and it's been fun to follow your journey. I know that when we were talking in Chicago, at the mm-hmm. time you knew that transition was, you know, in place and now you're in North Carolina. So, back to the South. So, okay, so for yeah. the listeners, mm-hmm. because I already know the story, you need to share <laughs> your story about your your ethnic journey and kind of your growing up journey and just bring us up to speed to where you yeah. where you grew up and then um yeah, mm-hmm. how you are back to the South again.
1: Yeah, well, even though I was born in San Jose, California, I mostly grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. And so I'm the first Southeastern Asian on your podcast, aren't <laughs> I? I think so, something like that, yes. <laughs> All right, so yeah. <clears throat> Southeast. So I grew up, I, I'm a Southern person, I'm from the South. Um, and I mean, but for a lot of people, you know, I was one of only a handful of Asians in my all white, uh, schools growing up. And, um, you know, I, I knew it was difficult to, so I tried to fit in. And, um, I think what I experienced was just wherever I went, I tried to fit in. Right. So like mm-hmm. I would change my language. I would code switch. I would cha- even change the way I dress or like the kinds of jokes that I told and things that I talked about that were so different from school than at home, than at church, which was Mm. mostly Korean immigrant church. And you just sort of learn to kind of switch and you're always just very aware of, um, your identity shifting at any given moment and who Mm. you are. So you're, you're always in a, you know, I was always in a constant state of just, okay, who am I here and who am I there and are those things intersecting with each other? Are those things congruent with each other? Or are they completely mm. different? Mm. Um, and something that we had talked about the first time was just this idea of that sort of consciousness um, being called double consciousness. Mm. Um, and the, first, the, the person who labeled that term, um, I can't even take credit for it, but way, way back um, during civil rights was W.E.B. Du Bois. Who talked about double consciousness and just that he, as a black man, just going in this world, being aware that he is a black man in this very white world, and how that impacts everything that he says Mm -hmm. or does or even thinks? Yeah. So um, that was very much kind of something that I resonated with when I first learned that term. I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's sort of what that's called. And that Mm -hmm. creates a, tremendous amount of stress because you're always questioning yourself. You're questioning your identity. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, whereas at school, I was always like, you know, the Asian sidekick trying to fit in and never sort of seen as more than that, really. Mm -hmm. Um, At church, I could just be Angie um, Mm -hmm. and then develop a different kind of identity there. So Mm -hmm. just always juggling those two sorts of things. My dad was a janitor and my mom was a small business owner. She did, um, she did sort of deli shops in office buildings, newsstands, that sort of thing. And then my dad uh, owned a janitorial company. So they didn't have to speak English that much. Um, Mm -hmm. so we grew up sort of pretty bilingual and, um, I think in high school and then beyond is when English sort of just really took over. And then I married a Korean man, but his parents were both doctors were always in a professional setting and actually refrained from teaching their son in, um, Korean. So Mm. he barely knows anything. And so now all that's fading, you know, it comes Mm. back only when I watch K dramas on the regular. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's really weird, but it is so true.
0: <laughs> I love that I mean to have language be uh I feel like one of the the purposes of this podcast, even in as we discuss ethnic journey and what it looks like living, you know, in both Eastern and Western worlds and all that is finding language that fits our experience and there's a validation that takes place like to hear a term like double consciousness like when you first shared it with me in our last interview <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> you know it's just hearing that aha for me it's like oh my goodness this is really what I experience as an Asian American I walk into every white space and I'm mm-hmm. scanning the room for people of color and especially the Asians and then if I see one, we kind of have that knowing nod. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like I see you, you know. Yeah. That's kind of a little head tip, you know, yeah. like I, I get your world a little bit. Or yeah. it's even um, I realize that when I watch a choir, you know, mm-hmm. I'm looking for the person that looks like me, and my eyes keep returning back to that person. So there's mm-hmm. just that wanting to make that connection and just that. Constantly, like scanning the bookshelves, scanning the conference brochures, scanning media, scanning to find those connecting places and having to live kind of um, even like you're saying, changing the way we speak or dress like when I'm in a white environment, I need to be a lot more um, um, outspoken. You know, like uncomfortably mm-hmm. so to kind of get my ideas in edgewise, you know, get my mm-hmm. thoughts in words and edgewise. Mm-hmm. But with Asians, I need to kind of hold back a little bit more and <laughs> allow, you know, people who are older and more experienced yeah. to share first, you know, so there's it's just awareness, right? So yeah, and and just to kind of like pause just in
1: that moment, you know, where you're doing the scanning and you're looking for things and you're scanning the brochures. I mean, think about the the extra layer of consciousness but also kind of stress that puts on your mind and your body Mm -hmm. there's a certain level of distraction that can happen and also i wonder if some part of that is searching for for a glimpse of home Mm -hmm. or or some sort of comfort or safety in that space and um that's really important uh to have and you know i know that when i walk into spaces when i see nobody i i I almost like have to put the guard up until I, until I feel okay to let it down. Mm. But when I see somebody that's like me, that has either gone before me or is used to it, I feel a lot better, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Mm -hmm. But it's learning really to, I think ethnic journey is really learning to sense in that moment, what is happening. Mm. And those are like the markers of your ethnic
0: journey is when you, Come into realization of those things. That is so good. Okay, so keep going, Angie. That is (laughs) so well put. So, you grew up in Atlanta. Is that right, Atlanta? Mm hmm. Handful of Asians at school. Yeah. Korean immigrant church. Yeah. Um, When were you, when did you start to kind of wrestle with this, uh, the challenges and the double consciousness? And I mean, when did you start to? Enter into that journey for yourself?
1: That's a great question. I think when we first so I grew up in Atlanta and then I met my husband um in Ohio of all places. Um and he's <laughs> Korean. I was wow. like finding Korean in Ohio. Like, I mean you, you found know, each other. I was other. like in Atlanta. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, so we found each other, we got married, and then I moved to North Carolina for his schooling. And um we were just really burned out with the Korean church. And I think a lot mm. of people experience might experience this, just there's a lot of need, um, very few resources, lots of stress. And we were just giving all of our time. And um, we just wanted to go somewhere and chill. Mm. <laughs> so we decided to join a pre- predominantly white church. Um, and I think When I was at school, there was always church where I felt more at home, where I could feel more like myself, Mm -hmm. but then at church, I felt the the least amount of safety, you know, Mm. I I walked in thinking, all right, we're all God's people, hallelujah, like PTL, (laughs) and then you walk in and you're like, okay, racism,
0: (laughs) Right. You know, like
1: somebody will make a comment or be like, oh, your hair looks so Asian today. And you're like, I don't even know how to take that. Right. Um, you know, and then like every time I play music, somebody would say like, would pinch my cheeks and say like, oh, you look like a little China doll or something. And oh, um, wow. so that's where I experienced the most amount of racism where you're not supposed to. Um, mm. And I think that's where I kind of really woke up to like, all right, I need to I need to really understand what's going on here, and mm-hmm. to really understand what's going on, I need to understand who I am in this space and mm. what what I am to people and how people perceive me and others that look like me.
0: Yeah,
1: I think that's when I really started going to go into things like um, like racial dynamics and. Uh, uh, Ethnic identity and race. Mm -hmm. That's when I started to really get involved with that.
0: Wow. So, did I mean, obviously, you're experiencing it yourself. And, yeah. you know, note to the non-Asians listening, please don't ever pinch anybody's cheek or touch their hair. <laughs> just the public service <laughs> announcement or say that you look like a China doll. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, but for those that are listening who are Asian, like, oh, yeah, been there. <laughs> That's the, right. yeah, I can share my version of that same kind of story. But for right. you, was it just, did you have friends of color that kind of helped you? Or did you, were you reading on your own? Like, What did that journey look like for you to kind of awaken to this whole, um, other, it's almost like another world really like to understand American history in light of injustice, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Like what was that like for you?
1: Oh, um, well, I, I started a, um, I helped to start another church and, um, that church is really committed to this like inclusion and diversity. And, um, as a part of that, we all, all the leadership had to go, um, to racial equity training. Mm. And I think that's when that was like mandatory for all the leadership, Um, Mm. which I highly recommend, especially in this day and age, it just makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but so we all went and, um, we all went and, um, I, that's where I really learned to put names to things that I was experiencing, and then mm-hmm. that's when we built sort of the U.S. history from the ground up, uh, from the non-victor side. So, like, if mm. history is told by the victors, the people who won, who are the people that lost, and how do we include that into the history? So we start with like mm. indigenous history, and then we go into slavery. We go into like immigration, border thinking, um, all, all that stuff. And so you just sort of get to learn, you get to relearn history, you know? And mm-hmm. I, I grew up in Atlanta. I mean, we have a huge mountain made out of stone with like Confederate carvings. I used to go to frat parties with my friends with a Confederate flag just flying high over with, mm-hmm. you know, and we'd be just drinking, you know, or maybe not drinking, <laughs> 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 you know, like we're, we're just... Sure you know, it was just a part of the culture. And, um, Mm -hmm. so when you just like really peel back the layers and you learn history again, you realize exactly what it all includes. And then Mm -hmm. me being Asian, not being black or white, and then being in the Mm -hmm. South where it is primarily black and white binary. Um, you are, I mean, I'm always in a state of, reassessing and 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 stating my place as a minoritized person Mm -hmm. and as a woman as a woman of color um there's all these sorts of like opportunities i want to say for us to like make ourselves be known and heard in ways that maybe weren't there for us before
0: Mm. oh that's so good that is so good i think it seems especially necessary. And I do think Asian Americans are going to be part of the solution because we kind of live in both worlds. Um, on one hand, in mm-hmm. white society, we can tend to be you know, inaccurately perceived as the model minority, um, mm-hmm. which is, um, and unfortunately, seen as educated with resources, which some of us are, but that's not the whole story of all Asian Americans. There's a tremendous amount of poverty and um, injustice that has taken place over the course of years. And to 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 call Asians a monolith is inaccurate. Uh, so yeah. I do feel like we are part of the solution because on one hand, we can kind of flow into white settings, sometimes sometimes. Um, more mm-hmm. m- with more acceptance mm-hmm. but we also experience a tremendous amount of discrimination and we have you know the the internment camps or concentration camps whatever you want to call them in world war yeah. ii with the japanese americans and the chinese exclusion act etc cetera, etc cetera. so help me um maybe as you think through asian american history what are some things that stand out in your mind that were just little known facts that we probably do well to know in light of just relearning history and this racial equity training.
1: <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because that's like a really big question. Wow. <laughs> okay. I'm like honored that you actually trust me to answer this question. Vivian. Oh, All right. Angie, I'm so, um, you're, you're right. hilarious. Okay. So the first thing I want to say is this, how did we go from a history of xenophobia, right? Like we were Chinese Exclusion Act, Yellow Peril, you know, Mm. we're seen as dirty or or Chinese people more specifically who were there at the time, seen as dirty. And then later on you go to Japanese internment camps. Okay. And then all of a sudden we're this model minority. So Mm. we go from xenophobia to model minority and look where we are now. We're in coronavirus. Back to xenophobia, like right, okay? People are spraying people on the subway with Febreze and like calling all sorts of stuff, spray painting on cars. My children have been taunted. Mm. Um, There have been racist acts towards my friend's children and my friends. And so, okay, let's just think about that. How do we go from like xenophobia to model minority? Like we're the model citizens. Mm. back to xenophobia with the flip of a switch. You know, it, we, we're we not in control of that narrative, mm. okay? Mm. It, in those cases, we have not been in control of that narrative. That narrative is controlled by the dominant majority,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And so I think that, like, we have an opportunity with, in this day and age, you know, there's... There's more um, Asians. We're the fastest gr- growing minoritized people. Um, we're the fastest growing undocumented immigrants. Um, we have like the whole Asian diaspora, like our our, um, our trajectories are so different. Um, mm-hmm. Our poverty levels are different. Our healthcare yeah. access is so different. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and our immigration status is so different, right? So we have this like opportunity to really change the narrative and maybe we have more agency than we think we do. Hmm. Um, And this is sort of running into my leadership lesson. We have more agency to speak up for ourselves and to take control of the narrative, not only as me, Angie, you, but Mm -hmm. us as like the Asian diaspora to really say like, no, like, we're not all the same, first of all. Um, we're yeah. not the model, model minority. You can't be racist against us, and we will call it out. You know, right. Right. Uh, we this is not just. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we're at a time where we can do that now, which is really, really exciting. But you know, like what are these like things that will get us there to the journey? You know, right, right. <laughs> so, I-, I mean, so I think that's why I think gatherings like um, like yours, like this one. I think are so important. You get a collective going and then we can't mm-hmm. be stopped. Like we, we will not allow other people to speak on our behalf. We can do it ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, which I think is so exciting. It's just such a right. great moment in time. And what you're doing, what this podcast and what the conference is doing is so great. I can't wait to join you next year, 2021. Next if it Let's do
0: this. Well, yeah. there is something to be said about that. I think that it's, mm-hmm. it's one thing if there's the lone voice yeah but I think when we link arms and mm-hmm. we can speak our our experience so that people can begin to understand from I mean perception is reality and I think when we start to uncover history like mm-hmm. there were Chinese that fought in the civil war like you know yeah, yeah, yeah. those kinds of yeah. things where it's like okay Chinese have actually lived in the United States and, you know, been here since the gold rush and before, you know, there are Filipinos that came to, I believe it was the Louisiana coast in the 1600s, something like that. So it's like, there's just, there's so much more, but that perception and that reality changes when we have accurate information. And that is definitely part of why even the did you know piece is so important. For this, Someday is here podcast. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. To educate all that.
1: Yeah, I mean, and there are, we're not alone. I mean, we're not the only ones that do this over time, of course. Like, I I think the two people that I mainly look up to are Yuri Kochiyama, who was Mm. in the civil rights, like, marching. and I think she was with Malcolm X when he died. Yes, I, I, yes. Yeah, right. And then um, Grace Lee Boggs is another one who is also an activist. And I think like there's just there are people that are just these hidden gems of people mm. that go before us. And um, I went to the Civil Rights Museum this past um, summer, finally, in Greensboro, North Carolina, where the Civil Rights mm. Movement started at the lunch counter with four wow. men having a sit-in. And I looked at the wall of people that got arrested from all the sit-ins, okay? Um, and there's this one Asian guy. And I'm determined to find out who he yes. is. And I was like, oh, like even back then. Like there's there are there people that stood alongside other mm. people of color that look like us, that have our yeah. heritage. And yeah. we have to claim that ancestry. We have to continue that. And mm-hmm. we have to know who these people are. Right. Um, yeah. So I'm excited. We're in a really good moment in time, I think.
0: It is, it's kind of, it is an exciting moment because we have um, social media, we have all of the advantages of people getting the word out when there are things that, racist things that take place. Like I think growing up, I didn't realize about Vincent Chin and Mm -hmm. to me, it feels like one of those Vincent Chin moments where there is um, a fear, like Mm. those out-of-work auto industry men were afraid. And Vincent Chin wasn't even from Japan. He wasn't in the Japanese auto industry. But these men felt threatened and he felt other. And so they beat him to death. And I think that that's where, with this whole coronavirus thing, there's this sense that Asians are being picked on because of yeah. fear, even though they have nothing to do with it. Like, you were born in California, and I was born in Wisconsin, you yeah. know, the middle of the country, <laughs> yeah. and yet we would we could very potent, we could very easily be mistaken for or seen as the cause of the coronavirus, and you know that kind of um, yeah. Fear that takes place. I think even for us to go out and pick up our groceries, like it's this Mm -hmm. is not a time to cough out loud in public as an Asian.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, think of that. I mean, think of that. So we're right now we're taping this in the midst of our self quarantine, and who knows, you know, when it comes out, um, where we'll be then. But like we're in this like sort of social distancing slash self quarantine time, so. A lot of us, okay, so a lot of us have um, immigrant parents. I do, and -hmm. they don't have health care. And my dad is immunocompromised. So that whole situation is going on. So there's like access, elderly, immunocompromised. And then my children, um, I fear, I mean, I don't fear for them as much getting sick as they do being racially bullied. And then for me, I've got like, my husband has to go to work every day cause he's a doctor. Mm. Um, and then like all of us as a family. So we're, we're very aware that uh, of this disease, but also the racist stuff going on on top of right. all of that. And think about right. like how much anxiety that produces, like I'm yes. in graduate school and, you know, thank God they, um, they made it to be a pass fail semester. Otherwise, yeah. I would have been screwed because I'm gonna. I have to homeschool my two kids who are mm-hmm. nine and six. So yeah. you, there's just multiple stresses going on, and Asians unfortunately have to think about violence yeah. towards them
0: yeah. for being Asian. Right, right. This is these are very, very odd, and well, we've just never had anything like this in our whole lifetime. Yeah, nothing that's been anything close to this, like we will actually, this will be, this moment in time will be written in history books. Right. And it's just, <laughs> and, and, brilliant. Brilliant. and so it's just uncharted territory in that that's way. Right. There is a lot of fear and it is a time for us to um, hopefully be voices of reason as well as truth. Mm-hmm. And um, I love that that is part of it. So, okay. So okay. we are all over the map, which is wonderful. Sorry. I No, Went no, off. no. This is so great. So I would love, to, I mean, you kind of mentioned the leadership lesson. Can you yeah. kind of unpack a little bit more leadership lessons, things that you would say, things that you would want your kids to even be aware of, the North Stars yeah. of leadership in this time?
1: So that um, the main one
0: is when
1: you're walking into these spaces and you're just questioning sort of you, who you are in that moment, don't give your brain away. Your mm. thoughts are valid. Your feelings are valid. Um, your brain is valid. Uh, mm. Even for those of us who um, are in um, ethnic cultures where it is very patriarchal, meaning the men have the authority over the woman, trust your brain. Do. Mm-hmm trust yourself, you are not crazy and you are not alone.
0: Mm, That's so good. That's so good. I think we need to like repeat that and (laughs) repeat that again, because honestly, as an Asian woman, it's like the Confucian fused thinking Mm -hmm. is that we were always under someone. We were, you know, when a daughter obey your father, when a wife obey your husband, when a Mm -hmm. widow obey your son. And Mm -hmm. that's, 5,000 plus years of teaching as yeah. a virtue. And so there really is this, um, tell me what to do, you know, mm-hmm. and try to be helpful in, in, you know, be whoever you want me to be kind of like, mm-hmm. a, I'll, I will morph into whoever you want me to be. And I have no idea what I really think or how I really feel, or even how to mm-hmm. verbalize this thing. So mm-hmm. I mean, that is an excellent lesson, especially for Asian American women. So nailed it, Angie. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Okay. So um, I do want to go back to some of your, more of your, your growing up roots, but I also okay. want to hear about, let's just change it because it's been heavy. Cause we've been talking about like very deep yeah. and heavy things. So yeah. let's switch gears and talk about something fun and then we'll go back into something okay. heavy, but <laughs> because we can do that. These are unprecedented okay. times, right? Yeah. Um, so Angie, let's go for it. What are some of your favorite Asian comfort foods?
1: Ah, okay. So this now. one is not a simple answer. Okay. Uh, okay. So Korean food wise, which mm. is a spicy beef stew with pieces of beef, sometimes a little bit of clear noodle and then a lot of vegetables. Ooh. I love that. Um, just, I, I could eat that 24 <laughs> seven. I really could every meal. Um, when I'm feeling sort of more cr- on the Chinese side, I will have jajangmyeon, mm-hmm. uh, which is the black noodles that you saw on parasite mm. <laughs> or jibong, which are spicy seafood noodle soup. Mm. But then I also like other stuff too. Like I love uh, Indian South Indian food, like dosa, mm. which is a, a fermented pancake. It's this huge, big pan- like a crepe sort of crispy Pancake thing
0: with potato mm. and spices inside is so good. Oh my goodness, that sounds amazing. I'm yeah. Oh my so I haven't had lunch yet. I'm ready. like West Coast. Really we were like, you're good. heading into dinner and I haven't had lunch yet. So that's yeah. really good.
1: Um, and then yeah, and then um Nepalese food with dal and rice, which is rice and beans, and you just you scoop it up in your hand and you lick your fingers and everything. Mm.
0: I love it.
1: you radiogram are
0: you? <laughs> I'm obviously a seven. I was thinking that. I'm like, like the, the sevenest of seven. All the food. every <laughs> Seriously. Food. I can see that. Like as you're describing it and licking your fingers, I'm thinking, I wonder if she's a seven. I think she's yeah. a seven. So yeah, <laughs> my husband is a seven, as is my daughter. So oh. that's my t-shirt. I wish I were a seven because I just think that's like you're, such a you're
1: great You're a name. three,
0: right? I'm a reluctant three with a two wing. So I know. You like, don't need to be uh, reluctant. I'm married to a three. Are so you, see, the 3-7 combo is actually really combo. awesome, but ter- terrifying at the same time. Like if you see, Isn't they're like is? this power couple, but they can completely disintegrate like in a second. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. Oh.
1: Right. And nothing ever gets addressed because the right. one one doesn't want to be wrong and the other one doesn't want to feel pain.
0: So exactly. <laughs> so it's just yes. like, so yeah. So okay, there's anyway. that. <laughs> so we understand the 3 7 yeah, dynamic three here. Seven dynamic. And yes, totally. it is. It's a It's a real thing. It is a real thing. <laughs> like when I read that description, like, is someone reading my journal? Like what? (laughs) I know So so all these great Asian foods. This is very excellent. I'm curious, did you grow up speaking Korean at home? Yes, I was bilingual at home.
1: And uh, my husband is different though. His parents didn't really want him to speak Korean Mm. uh, because they were professionals out the gate in in the US. So um, my Korean has gone down. Since I got married, (laughs) he
0: doesn't know how to speak it. Right, right. Got to rely on Korean dramas to keep that up. Oh, speaking of Korean dramas, my daughter and I are hooked on Crash Landing. Crash Landing on You. Oh, Oh, my goodness! We think about it and talk about it daily. Like it's. Have you seen the last episode? Yes. We did, but we didn't want to watch it because we Uh didn't want it to end, but Uh we really needed to watch it because we needed to know what happened. Yeah. And so we're still, so we might just start the whole thing again now that we were on lockdown. So just because. (laughs) thinking about starting it too again right. oh my goodness so I just so cried good. like a baby I did too I, I did so too hard. there was so much goodness so when yeah. you so the very first time when we uh-huh. did our first interview the first time around and uh-huh. you and I were doing photos and we we're doing the little hearts uh-huh. with our fingers and uh-huh. then, so much more sense after watching, I'm like, Angie, oh. just a little hard thing. So now that's my favorite gif, gift, whatever you say. Because there's like these little hard things. That's, that's I'm doing them right now. Yes. yes. Oh, yes. so cute. Oh, so Yay. Yay. Okay. Okay. Happy, happy. <laughs> okay. so, so you didn't grow up speaking Korean. Nope. Um, you grew up speaking Korean. I did. Korean. I husband did, did not. Yes. Did not. And yeah. then when you, so how long did you live in the Chicago area? For two years. Okay, so it wasn't like a huge amount of time. So, kind of your roots are Asian, like i not Asian. <laughs> your roots are Asian, yes, but your roots are in the south. Yes. yes okay, they so are. this is my. So I'm. I have this. I have this thought because a lot of Southerners <laughs> that I've met, a lot of the culture <laughs> reminds me of Asian culture, like. There's this warmth and hospitality. There's this kind of passive aggressiveness at times. It's a very, there's just like the right way to do things. And <laughs> I mean, do you find that to be true? And is it like doubly so because of being an Asian Southerner or is it like, do you, am I even making sense? Cause I, like I spent a summer in North Middle Beach, South Carolina and uh-huh. every time i came uh-huh. across actual mm-hmm. southerners i'm like this culture feels very <laughs> familiar as an asian culture like d- does that even make sense are you laughing cuz it's true <laughs> it is 100 1000% true oh my god there's so
1: much overlap it's insane there there's like this story a common story where if if um, if you do something to offend a southern woman she will have the face she will have the perfectly Perfectly done hair, but you'll know she's so furious if she closes the door behind her firmly. And you know <laughs> she's like stark raving mad. <laughs> and I feel like that's like you know, because Koreans go off of like sensing and there's this thing called, mm. which is like um kind of like sensing the room and sensing all the mm-hmm. dynamic in the room. So that's for us called Nunchi, but Southerners have that sort of passive aggressive um, thing going on. And so mm. you could have a whole
0: raging conversation
1: over small talk.
0: I mean, <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yes. Nunchi. I think Helen Lee brought that up in one of the, like when we did our live interview, she talked about that too. And it okay. can actually be a, a, a good thing gift as well you know when used for good yeah is very you know <laughs> when used for good that's the key right but when used for good it's like there's just an <laughs> no unawareness of others and a sensitivity to others yes and it's realizing life is not always about me and my life and there's just but when used for evil it can be <laughs> um, <laughs> well it, it just gets confused for miscommunication which
1: mm. in a Korean drama it seems to always work out Right. But in real life,
0: not so, much. not so much. Not so much. Okay. So do you feel like you got a double portion then as a Southern Asian? I did.
1: I did. Um, the, yeah. So when I moved to the um, the to Chicago, the Midwest, uh, there's like a whole other kind of past progressiveness, but it's not the same. Yeah. Um, mm it's that Minnesota nice kind of passive mm, aggressive yes. there. It's like a little bit more standoffish, but then when you're in, you're in, that's kind of what I experienced of Midwestern culture. But anyway, the first time I moved into Midwestern culture and I met other Asians, I was really confused. Um, mm. So, I kind of had to do some parsing out of those different cultures. Yes. But, yeah, in terms of, I see so many similarities between Southern, especially women, Mm -hmm. Southern women and uh, sort of Northeast Northeast Asian or Confucius based sort of honor system women uh, Mm -hmm. from Asia. I see so many similarities.
0: It's really, yes.
1: Even down to like looking having to look a certain way mm-hmm. and a certain persona of, you know, gentle,
0: compliant,
1: mm. soft-spoken. Right. <laughs> a little
0: Southern belle. A little Southern belle. Southern belle. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Okay, now I have another question. Like okay. when you're in the South, does your Southern accent come out more? Because it's kind of like you just feel like I hear a subtle, like I didn't hear it as much in Chicago, but okay. now that you're oh, back, weird. Yes, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Do you find it coming back more for you when you are in the South? I don't notice it, but I do tend
1: to take on, I don't, I, no, I don't notice it at all. I mean, In college, I used to have it pretty bad because all my roommates were from Savannah and I lived with them for four years and I had a really thick Southern accent. And Mm. if you talk to my college friends, if I talk to my college friends or friends growing up now, they'd be like, what happened to your Southern accent? It's like all gone. Mm. I'm like a complete northerner
0: to people down here. (laughs) That's so interesting. This is that morphing thing, right? I know. (laughs) Cross-cultural. Yes. Cross-cultural. Oh. Well, it's actually really refreshing because I think we tend to lump people. Like we tend to lump, all Koreans are like blah, blah, blah. Or we tend to all... Asian women are like blah blah blah. And it's just yeah. not true. And I think Asians across the country mm-hmm. experience very different worlds. And even Asians that have grown up with a lot of Asians around them versus what part of the country, um, just yeah. their experiences are so different. So we can't just assume yeah. that someone who looks like us is going to come from the same, you know, like mm-hmm. same experience. So even for my transracial <laughs> adoptee friends who mm. grew up you mm-hmm. know, in white homes, in mm-hmm. white mm-hmm. communities, their experience as an Asian American woman is very, very different than someone who grew up in Chinatown or yeah. Koreatown or Little Vietnam. You know, so. Okay. So, you know, I'm in school for to put names to things, right? <laughs> yes, I know. Okay. Oh, tell you know, us about this.
1: Okay. So, what you just named is like a fascinating course of study or topic of study, um, has been going on for a few years and it's just the question of what is Asian and what is Asian American? And I think, I think um, we've evolved from like narrative storytelling into saying something like of, it's called hybridity. And I don't mean to get too academic. No, no, go, I it. love it. But it. It's, it's sort of saying we have been defined as a static thing okay. and we are not this static thing. We are self-making. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have agency mm-hmm. and um, being Asian is, is not definable. And I think that's becoming more and more true, just sort of in mainstream culture. It becomes really yeah. hard to group us all together as a monolith for sure.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and I think that is, I love it because it, I think that for Asians, right? So you can't group all the Asians together. Asians like so huge or so many ethnicities there's just no way you can do it. And mm-hmm. I think the more people realize, I think we will help society realize mm-hmm. that you can't group anybody in a monolith. Like some, right? you know, some people will say the black community, but I had a professor in black church study that was like, you can't say black community anymore. You have to say black communities. We have to think of it, and and I think that Asians and Asian Americans uh, are the greatest tools for people to understand that.
0: Oh, that's so excellent. That's true because I think you know for a long time it's been trying to figure out the correct term, you know. So and then the hyphen has now disappeared in Asian American, so it's like take out the hyphen. Yeah. So there's there's a whole there's a there's an intentionality. Mm-hmm. But I think if we can, you know, find the accurate terms that can help to bring understanding to experience, yeah. that that's really going to unleash Asian American women as well as be able to kind of be cultural guides into the future. Because now we have mixed race, which is a whole mm-hmm. thing too, but that's yeah. our future as well. So um, I, I love that we can be a part of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's called hybridity. hybridity okay I've learned all these double consciousness hybridity I feel I so like I'm getting a I am working on my my I'm working on my master's but I feel like that's PhD level kind of stuff so thank you Angie I'm gonna feel very informed okay one of the worst things about being a three is we really don't know that much but we know a little bit to sound like I, we know more than we do but it's I totally begged to differ. <laughs> I begged and that's how I feel as a seven I'm just like yeah no, things out so. there Wow. wow. No, there's always much to learn. And I love I love what you are learning and I love what you are bringing. So how can people find you? Um, I know in the last interview that we had, which we'll yeah. refer back to forever and ever now, Angie, yeah. but you had most recently written an article about mm-hmm. how it's unfair for um, white churches in this mm-hmm. case, you know, to mm-hmm. have a lone single person of color be the cultural guide to all members of, you know, all minority groups, break it down for a little, just explain a little bit of that and then share with us how people can track with you and follow you.
1: Okay. So I wrote an, a online piece for a magazine called faith and leadership. And basically um, I talked about it. So there are a lot of organizations who hire your, your token person of color um, to be the face of diversity. Um, in order to have diversity, but what comes with that is that you're relying on them to bring the, bring the cultural change. You're relying Mm. on them to be the cultural change agent. And as a person who has experienced that and the amount of pressure that it puts on you. And I mean, at that time, you know, I was a music, I was playing music, you know, I just wanted to do my thing, sing my Mm -hmm. songs. Mm -hmm. And yet they wanted me to educate them on like what it's like to be Asian and how Mm -hmm. that, you know, deals with like whiteness and, you know, and so I tell that story from my version. I tell my Mm -hmm. version of the story of what that is like Mm -hmm. as a person of color. And I just talk about, you know, it being, um, it being unfair, really. And, um, and unjust. And then you go at, and then these organizations turn around and they would say, oh yeah, we are diversity. We hired Angie. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, they use me, you know, I felt, mm. I felt used um, yeah. whether they meant to do it or not. So sure. I talked about the, all these different dynamics um, um, in this article and how, you know, you They expected me to be a part of the main culture without changing the culture, but wanted me to be the culture change agent and the face of diversity at the same time. I mean, I'm
0: sure nobody else can relate to that, right? (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm seeing the collective, everybody in their car right now nodding, going, that is me in the medical department. That is me in the publishing world. That is me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in parachurch organizations in in every every. That's it. there's that sense of okay we yeah. can find the token check you know we yep. we threw a bunch of faces of color onto the poster check yep
1: <laughs> yep so so that's what I wrote about. And then um, and then after that interview, the first interview, um, since then, I've written another, I wrote another super short piece for an educational nonprofit online called um, chalkbeat.org. And I wrote about racism against um, students, uh, Asian students in schools. So mm. I don't know if that's Yeah, that's just something out there during the the coronavirus stuff. Um, And then most people can find me. So I have a website, AngieKHong.com. It's Mm -hmm. com, And then it's the same, AngieKHong at Instagram, Facebook,
0: Twitter. TikTok,
1: yes. LinkedIn.
0: Oh yes. <laughs> YouTube. I'm on all of them. <laughs> That's so great. I'm so glad. And everyone go find Angie, hunt her down. And we'll try to connect up some of these articles too, because I think these are going to be oh, great, great resources during this time. And okay, perfect. Um, yeah, I love it. Thank you so much for taking time. And again, It's been my joy though. Seriously, Angie, just to be able to have more time with you and appreciate the technology that allows us to be on both coasts in this very moment and be able to talk with each other. So thank you for being on the podcast. Yes, definitely. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on Some Days Here. If you've liked what you've heard, please take a moment and subscribe to the show so that each new episode automatically downloads to your device every week. And thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends. We would love for you to rate and review the show so that others can find out about us. A special thank you to the brilliant team that makes Some Here possible. The Some Here logo is designed by Jocelyn Chung. The original music is by Joseph Patrick with PassionNet Productions. Show notes on the website are by Vicki Fan. Sound engineer is Aaron Kretzman. The director of design and website designer is Kenny Wong. And the executive producer is Chantel Reynolds. Have a great week. And we look forward to you joining us again for another episode of Someday is Here.